And let me, uh, let me pray for us as we uh, consider uh, this passage. I wanted to read that whole passage. We'll just be looking up through uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. But let's ask God's blessing as we continue to worship Him. Oh, Lord, our God, how thankful we are to be in Your presence this morning, uh, in a place where You have made known to us uh, Your love, and You've made it known through the death of Your Son pointing out the penalty that we deserve on one who is innocent and perfectly righteous, and assuring us, Lord, even now that we are counted righteous in your sight for what he has done for us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would let us know your truth, and we thank you that you haven't left us ignorant, but you give us your word. So, Lord, we pray that it would encourage our souls, that it would draw us close to you, that it would change our hearts and transform us into the image of your Son who has brought us. Lord, we thank you for this blessing. We ask for your Spirit's help uh, to watch over the words that I would say that they would be from you and to watch over uh, the meditations of all of our hearts as we consider what you have done and what you have said to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time today of almost limitless resources and information. Uh, and you have to deal with this environment all the time, making choices about what you're going to trust, what information or who you're going to trust. Maybe you're driving home and your car begins to make a little bit of a, a rattle or some kind of sound that's not supposed to be there, or, uh, or maybe it's just you know, time for a regular checkup. And you have to find a mechanic. Well, you can pull out your phone book, uh, open it up to uh, automotive repair. And, and just for fun, I counted up in the phone in my phone book, automotive repair. We're not a real big city in Tallahassee. There's 150 uh, different automotive repair mechanics that you could take your car to. Um, and, and they'll all take your money, um, but not all of them are going to help you out that much. They might take more of your money than they need. And who are you going to trust? Who's going to rip you off and who's going to be, you know, you need the section in the phone book that's the honest, qualified, and reliable mechanic who won't overcharge you. You know, how, how many are going to be in, in that portion? Or um, the Internet, you can type in any topic that you might be interested in, and you can uh, probably you can have thousands of entries come up, probably watch see a picture or watch a video on that topic. And with all the blogs that are out there now, you can go from one person to another and see just people's aimless wanderings of thoughts and their passionate descriptions of almost any topic that you can think of. Um, but with so many options, how do you know what to trust when they all disagree with one another? Who do you trust? Who are you willing to rely on? Who do you trust? If you're, if you're like me, part of you at least is answering, nobody. Uh, I'm not going to be fool enough to, to, to trust them. What if I take it to a mechanic? I'm going to to watch over everything that they might be doing, and I, I ought to be able to trust people, but I, I feel like I've got to watch over it all myself. I'm the only one I can trust, but the problem is that doesn't always work out either, does it? Uh, I, I find I'm letting myself down all the time. My plans, you know, it might come as a surprise. The plans that I come up with myself or maybe what will happen in ministry or in my family life doesn't always go exactly the way, you know, I had it pictured in my mind. I, I can't trust myself in some senses. It lets me down. But I'm not so much concerned with, uh, with automotive repair or where you take your car, what mechanic you take your car to. Uh, but what about when it comes to religious truth? What about when it comes to what you're to believe about who God is, what he said, what he's done, who Jesus is? 
and how that should impact your life, what things you should or, or, or shouldn't do, and how you should relate to others. Um, uh, you know, you can pull out the phone book again and didn't bother to count this page. In my phone book, there was uh, seven, almost seven full pages of church listings. And none of the churches are taking out, you know, full-page ads or anything. There's tons of different churches, and they don't all agree. There's a reason there's different denominations. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to trust um, for even religious truth or what's right? Who will you rely on? Can you trust yourself maybe for that one? Um, I hear people all the time, well, I, I go here, I practice this religion because this is what appeals to me. This is what works for me. This is what beneficial or seems right to me. Search the internet again, and you could get, it's almost laughable, you can get everyone saying different things and uh, contradicting one another, almost every different opinion you could come up with. Well, who do you trust? Who do you rely on? Ultimately, it's a faith question, isn't it? Um, who do you trust? Who do you rely on? To, in whom will you put your, your faith? When we say it that way, maybe it's more helpful to get to a little bit more clarity in the answer that Jesus Christ is the one in whom, uh, the only one in whom is surely reliable, in whom we can place our absolute confidence and faith and trust that he'll never let us down. But how does that work when it comes to uh, religious truth? We're going to look at this passage from verse 16 to uh, verse 3 of chapter 2 in three parts. I'm talking about trusting, that trusting Jesus means trusting apostolic witness, trusting the prophetic word of scriptures, and not trusting uh, false prophets or false teachers. But who do you, you trust? And for you, how do you distinguish between what's true, what's false, what you'll commit to, and what you'll refuse? The first thing this passage tells us is that trusting Jesus includes trusting the testimony of his apostles as well. Eyewitnesses of his majesty, as Peter says in this verse. See, there's two basic things that are essential, even to what it means to be an apostle. There are other things that could be said, but two things are essential. First of all, the apostles are those who have been with Jesus. They have seen who he is and what he has done. Some of them were there, all of his ministry, seeing the miracles that he performed, the teaching that he gave, but all of them especially seeing the proof of who he is after his death, his resurrected body, raised by the Lord as the one who is the Christ who has accomplished our salvation. They're eyewitnesses of who he is. But there's others who saw those things. There are also those that Jesus himself has commissioned he has told them to go out, commissioned them to be his representatives, the one who would say what they've seen who would bear testimony about what they've seen him do, what they've seen happen to him, who they know that he is. Right, that's the whole Great Commission thing. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Go unto all nations, baptizing them, making disciples of all nations. Um, this, is, this is Jesus commissioning his apostles and then the church and us through that. So trusting Jesus necessarily includes trusting uh, his apostles. Trusting the apostolic witness. Now, some people may say, uh, that's entirely bogus. This is all just made up. Um, and maybe we can trust Jesus, but we can't trust Peter, or we certainly can't trust Paul. They're just kind of building on this their own ideas to create some, uh, create a religion that, that, that they could, they, they essentially, they, they missed Jesus after his death. They loved him so much that they made up these stories. 
Um, and we really can't even know when we look at the Bible whether the words even in red are what Jesus said or what, um, what they simply made up about him. Um, now, Peter says pretty clearly um, this was not the case. Uh, he simply says in verse 16, it's, they didn't make up clever stories. They didn't come up with something that was going to be very impressive. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths, um, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And we told you what we had seen and what we had heard. Um, not impressive stories to lure you in. But, I mean, if you think about it, uh, the gospel isn't exactly the most uh, believable thing. I mean, if you were going to come up with a story to draw people in, uh, it probably wouldn't involve that there was this guy who was, he was a human, but he was actually also God too. And, and he died, but then he, he came to life again, and he's still alive right now, but he's in heaven, and we can't see. Like, this is not exactly a believable story. It's, it's true. And we have eyewitnesses in the apostles and others who can tell us that these things are true. But it doesn't rest on, uh, on some you know, impressive saying or clever uh, story or, or the whole aura of things, but on the truth of what they have seen and heard. And Peter here goes on in these verses to recall what must be one of the most amazing events of his life. I would say probably the most amazing thing that his eyes ever saw. Um, what we refer to, uh, all the synoptic Gospels talk about, as the transfiguration. Uh, that one day uh, Jesus took Peter and James and John, just those three with him, up on the mountain to pray. And while Jesus was praying, uh, Scripture says uh, his appearance, even his face, was transfigured before him. And they got a glimpse of his future glory, his coming glory that he would have when he uh, returns with the second coming. They get a glimpse of this glory. It says his face shone like the sun and his garments became gleaming white as, as like light. And he's there, if you remember, then talking with Moses and with Elijah and a, a cloud, a bright cloud of God's presence overshadows them and declares, even as Peter says here, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, some of the passages say, with whom I am well pleased. Um, we have an incredible, incredible thing. I mean, that's something that would change your life, right? Can you imagine being there, seeing those things with your own eyes, what that would be like? Um, and Peter says, my ears heard the very voice of God coming from the heavens. I'm just telling you what I was present to experience. My eyes saw his form change to glory like has never been known, but the glory that we will know when he returns again on the clouds. We were there with him on the holy mountain. And he says this to draw our attention to Jesus, to focus our attention upon Christ's glory and his coming glory. You see, truth, apostolic truth, always focuses on Jesus, not on us. That's going to be the false teaching. And rather than, than telling us that everything can be great now and your life can be successful and perfect and wonderful right now if you just believe rightly, no, it, it points us to the future. That we as Christians should be longing for that day when we will see Christ's glory and we will be like him and fully known when we see him as he is. Encourages us to serve, to sacrifice now like our Lord did, longing for his kingdom, the coming of his kingdom, his return and glory. 
And, and that is something that we can trust in, that we can rely on because of Jesus' eyewitness that he is sent to tell us the truth of who he is. I recognize you might say, well, that's not exactly helpful. Again, you can't get out the phone book and turn to the apostles section and find, you know, Peter, James, John, or Paul listed there and call up one of them and say, what, what was that really like there? Um, but, uh, but this part of the Bible uh, that we have over here, the, the back part of your Bible that we call the New Testament, this is where we have apostolic witness in, written down for us. All of the books in Scripture, not all written by apostles, but all are coming from that apostolic witness of the truth of what has been seen and heard, what Christ has revealed about himself. So we have that apostolic witness. And even we would say as well that the church is founded upon apostolic truth. And, and a church is only a true church as what it says and what it practices stands and rests on that foundation that has been laid upon Christ and the prophets and the apostles. So trusting Jesus includes uh, trusting his apostles. And so the New Testament scriptures as well. Secondly, as we continue through the passage, we can see that, that trusting Jesus also means trusting the Scriptures. There's a, there's a reason why we call it uh, God's Word, inspired, authoritative, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, uh, but the Word of the Lord, we can rely on. The Word of the Lord endures forever. Um, see, what Peter says next in verse 19, uh, just kind of stops you. You're reading along, you're like, huh? What did he, what did he say there? Do you, do you see this in 19? And we have something more sure. He's just talking about what his eyes and ears have, have seen. And he has no doubt about the fact that that was true. And yet he says, there's something more sure even than my experience. Even what my eyes and ears have, have witnessed. Um, and he says, what's more true than that is, is the Bible. The prophetic word, which is just a term to refer to the Old Testament scriptures, the only scriptures that there were uh, at the time, uh, says, more sure than my own experience is God's word, is the Bible. And we can, he can rely on scripture more than his senses. Now, that's just not the way that, uh, that we think very often, is it? In fact, I would say that, that most of the time we probably think almost the exact opposite of that. Like, don't we say, all right, this is the Bible, this is the truth, and the things in here I believe. I believe them to be true. But, but if I could have been there with the apostles, if I could have seen Jesus performing miracles in his teaching, how much more incredible would that be? Or, or if God actually uh, spoke to me in my life, if God manifested himself to me in some way, or... If I had some deep religious experience, then I would really believe these things that I assent to. We feel like our experience is what's more sure, and God's written word is, is well, very impressive, but, but not as much as, as uh, what we think. In fact, I, I think we tend in general to accept the Bible, at least at times I hear people accepting the Bible only when it agrees with our experience. You know, conversations I have with a lot of students on, on campus, I'll hear at times some people will say things, you know, along the lines of, oh, the Bible's got a lot of weird stuff in there. There's 
you know, virgin birth and uh, breads being you know, changed, or, or all, you know, different miracles that Jesus is performing. And that just doesn't really fit with my experience. Uh, I don't believe that happened. I, I can't believe the Bible when it says things like that. Or, or maybe not so much that. What I, what I hear more often, and maybe you do or are familiar with it, someone who would say, you know, I really appreciate the way that the Bible talks about love, the, the extreme emphasis that the Bible places upon love, because that echoes so much with my own experience and relationships of how much that needs to love and pervade all of our relationships. Then they might go on to say, um, I've heard a lot, but, but I just can't believe that when the Bible says that, that God would judge, that God would condemn, that there's some people that God uh, will end up sending to hell. Uh, because I know a lot of good people who aren't Christians, but, but, but good people that, that are maybe even better than I do. Um, and I just can't believe that God would send them to hell. Uh, it doesn't fit with my experience. You see, it, it, it's simply, um, I agree with my experience, and where the Bible fits with that, sure, it's good too. Um, it's turned it on, on, its, on its head what Peter says, which is that the Word is more reliable than our experience. We need to pay attention to the Word as a lamp shining in a dark place where we would say, Lord, I don't know how to interpret my own experience, and I need your Word to guide me. I'm not competent to understand this world. I need the Scriptures. I don't know who I am well enough, and I don't know what I need well enough to guide myself. Lord, let me understand your Word. And Peter explains to us uh, why he can say that there's something more sure than his own experience, why he can say there's something that the prophetic word is more sure. And essentially, if you look at it, we could just say it's that the, the prophetic scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God, are from God, right? Men spoke from God and not by the will of man, not by the will of men. Or if we, uh, if we put it lightly, um, Who's more reliable, uh, you or God? And if it comes down to you uh, and God, who, who, who should you trust? Um, right? God's more reliable than we are, so his word is more reliable than our word and, and more reliable than our experience. We can put it simply like that, but it's, it's very difficult for us to, to rest in. Uh, faith is simple, yet we find it going very hard against what we desire in our hearts. Now, you know, it's clear in the passage, men are still very much involved in the writing of Scripture. Uh, Peter sounds like Peter, John like John, Isaiah sounds, you know, sounds different in his thing. Um, but men aren't simply coming up with some great idea and then it got put in the Bible. And it's saying in this passage that it's not even that God kind of gave them, a, the prophets, you know, a certain glimpse or a vision or a dream, and then they kind of filled out that picture with things that would be relevant to, to their day, and that's what's in Scripture. He says, no, it's, no one ever came, it comes, Scripture's not from someone's own interpretation, it's not produced by the will of God, but men spoke only from God, His message. And even as they write, what, what comes down has been led by the Holy Spirit. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's not describing for us what that would feel like for Peter as he's you know, writing these words, that's going to be kind. But that what we have in Scripture isn't man's word. It's God's word. It's Christ's word. And so it's reliable uh, for us. It's more sure even than our own experience. 
The the other saying goes, uh, don't believe everything you read. That's great. You shouldn't trust everything you read. But if you're reading the Bible, Old and New Testament scriptures, is God speaking to you? You should believe everything that you hear, even more than what you would come up with yourself. You see, trusting Jesus means trusting Scripture. It's His Word coming from His Spirit. Trusting Jesus means trusting the apostolic witness we have in the New Testament, even its focus on Christ's coming glory. Uh, trusting Jesus means trusting the prophetic word of the Old Testament even more than our experience. And we can say thirdly, uh, as we carry through to chapter 2, that trusting Jesus also means not trusting false words, not trusting false uh, teaching. See, there's always been the problem of not knowing what to trust or, or who to rely on, how to distinguish between true and false. And Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people. And he's referring back past all the way through uh, the Old Testament. False prophets in the day of, of Jeremiah often complains of the people who would simply uh, tell the king what he wanted to hear, tickling their ears uh, type of idea. Um, and even if you can go back to, to Moses, Deuteronomy 13 and 18 speaks speaks specifically about false prophets, that if someone in the name of the Lord makes a prophecy and it doesn't come true, if they say this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, um, they're to be stoned. Or even if they say this is something that will happen and it comes to pass, it does happen just like they said, but then they use that to lead away from God's truth. It says the prophet is to be put to death. He is not from the Lord. Uh, God takes this very seriously. Um, and, and false prophets, or it says false teachers, uh, will still be a problem in the church today. There will still be false teachers among you. And he's not talking about uh, other religions, right? Buddhism or Islam or such thing. This is, this is among you. This is, this is those who still would profess outwardly a faith in Christ, that there are those uh, who are still false teachers. I mean, how many of those, I would wonder, how many of those churches in the phone book and our Christian churches are true churches, and how many are false teaching that this passage would condemn uh, extremely harshly? And even says that the, the Christianity or the way of truth, the way of Christ, will be blasphemed uh, because of them. Yeah. Teaching just a, a bland morality or a um, gospel is success, um, health and wealth gospel. Well, false teachers are a real problem uh, for us today in the church, he's saying, and, and even, it's a very alluring thing. I mean, don't be naive and say, it's not really a problem, or I would never be lured into that. This whole passage, and we you know, read the whole thing, we won't look at it, it says a whole lot about this. It's an important teaching to God in the Bible. Um, you know, kind of what's the, it's, it's alluring to us, but what, what's kind of your picture if you think, you know, the false church is meeting? You know, that your picture of that happening is, you know, got to be like some kind of dilapidated building, maybe like the center point property downtown. Um, few people are going in just kind of late in the evening, you know, there. Um, but that's not the kind of picture you, you have here. It's, this is verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. Um, many, you know, it's more likely to be the big, impressive, rich church. I'm not saying big churches are bad. Uh, it's more likely to be a big, impressive, rich church. It's a false church with false uh, teaching, uh, as, as he puts it here. 
Uh, many will follow. And you know why it's going to be like that? It's because they tell you uh, what you want to hear. False teaching is feeding you the lies that your, that your sinful heart longs for. Um, you know, it's going to tell you, you're called to success. You're not called to suffering right now. You're called to success. And if, if something makes you happy, it's not wrong. It's what you need to do. Uh, you deserve to have uh, the things that you want, the message that you'll hear, um, maybe even the message that, you're, uh, that you sh- deserve to have your best life now. Um, it may be stated very much with biblical phrases, uh, encouraging spiritual-sounding stories. It's not the gospel. It's against the gospel. Even denying Christ, the Christianity is blasphemed because of it. Um, now, I recognize, like, to even... You know, Karen and I were joking. Chuck, Chuck got me to preach uh, this week because he didn't want to tackle, you know, chapter 2 because it's so harsh. It runs so, uh, so much against our, our assumptions. That's not true at all. You know, Chuck, he, he's going to take up into that with a, with a heavy rain. Um, but uh, it, it runs very much against the things that we like to hear. I mean, if I started calling out, and I don't know church in Tallahassee well enough to do that, if I started to call out particular churches and say, uh, this church is heretical, and because of what th- these people are going to be condemned, um, at very least you would be you know, squirming your seat and going, this guy is really rude. And, and probably you don't like me you know, anymore you know, if, I, if I said some of those things. But I read the rest of the chapter too, so you would hear just what harsh terms uh, God uses in Scripture, even to speak of their coming destruction. Uh, I mean, just, just listen to verse 12. This is what hit me the hardest. Um, but these, these false teachers, are like... Irrational animals, uh, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Right? I, Peter's not saying the kind of thing we might hear. Um, well, you know, these views that they're teaching, that, that works for them, so that's okay. Uh, but I just don't want you to get caught up in it. I don't, I don't think it would be healthy for you. He's coming down. They're, they're animals that are only born to be hunted and killed, and their, and their death is coming. Their destruction is coming. Um, I'll tell you as well, Peter's sharing Jesus' attitude. Um, he says, whoever calls one of, the, uh, one of these little ones who believe in me to see, sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone was hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Um, all right. You know, Jesus is, is getting heavy on that one. He's cares about it. We shouldn't let ourselves pretend that it doesn't matter. Trusting Jesus means not trusting a false words, false teaching, and only trusting Christ through his word. You see, false teaching, the, the reason it is wrong is because it brings in something new, something else. Uh, it secretly brings in destructive heresies, the passage says. Um, now, it's not going to sound like it's destructive or like it's heretical and you might not even know that it's seeping in, right? It's brought in secretly, but it adds to what Jesus has given. And it says, trust this too. That you need to rely on this as well to be, uh, to be secure, to be saved, or whatever it might be. As if there's something else, something uh, more than Christ that should hold our faith. This is why the passage goes on to say, this is uh, denying the master who bought them. It's so far from trusting in Christ that it's denying him. 
to add these new things. And uh, say briefly, like, you know, two main forms that that's taken throughout the history of the church um, is one bringing in traditions, bringing in other traditions uh, that we should follow, bringing those into God's word. Uh, now, maybe the Roman Catholic Church is going to be you know, most uh, most famous for that with this thing, but but don't all of us want uh, don't all of us want to trust into what we're accustomed to, the kind of songs that I like or the surroundings that I like or the people that I'm used to, um, that we trust in, in those traditions that we're used to rather than clinging to Christ and His Word. Or the other side of it, there's traditions. The other side of it is bringing kind of new revelations uh, to God's Word, extra things that we uh, must, must follow. Throughout the whole history of the church, you see examples of this, maybe especially uh, charismatic movement, Pentecostal movement uh, uh, in the past century. With new revelation and current uh, prophecies and all these things. Um, but, but how much even for us do we still long for something easier? Uh, some, some more exciting sign that God would give to, to us to know uh, His presence rather than diligently searching the Scriptures and clinging to what has been delivered to us about Christ and who He is. Um, it's denying the Master, blaspheming him. And at root, it's simply another form of greed and exploitation, right? In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Um, they don't care about the truth or what they're selling, uh, but simply their own careers. Um, now I'll say, I'm, I'm all for paying your pastors well as, as a pastor. I'm for paying your pastors very, very well. I think that's a good thing. You should support missionaries, you know, raise, help them raise money for things. Um, but, but beware of the, the rich pastor. You find someone who's, who's making it off of ministry? Um, something, something's going, going wrong there. They're not interested in what they're selling. Um, the, the passage says their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Trusting Jesus means not trusting false words, false teachings, because you have the truth in Jesus, in His Word. Who do you trust? Who do you rely on? Who do you put your faith in? What you should believe, what you should do. Who do you listen to? There's all kinds of voices vying for your attention. You come to the apostles, prophets, false teachers that say what you want to hear? Is it Christ's Word in the Old and New Testaments that, that draw you closer to Him? Or are you looking, you feel like there needs to be something else, something more, whether that ends up from by hopping around from church to church, uh, grasping after the next good book or self-help book or searching the Internet, or even just you know sitting there in your seat but sitting discontentedly? Um, Jesus alone is worthy of our trust, and He's given us all that we need in His Word. The Scriptures are, it says in 2 Timothy, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. They're sufficient. They're able to, to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, it says in Acts. They are useful, profitable, breathed out by God, able to equip you for every good work that God desires and tell you about Christ. And Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than all that we need. 
Let's trust only in Him. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we uh, confess that we search after many other things, um, things that we think would make us happy, things that we think uh, would provide for our needs. And Lord, we act as if you haven't met our needs. We act as if we do want, we do lack, and that you're not our shepherd. Yeah, Lord, we pray that you would call us back to yourself to know the truth of your grace that doesn't wait for us to, to get things right for you, but that you uh, come to us and you have provided everything that we need in Christ. And that you continue to supply all our needs uh, for life, godliness, salvation, and everything in this life um, through your word that tells us about Jesus. Lord, we give thanks to you even as we continue to worship you and our Lord and Christ, who's coming with future glory. In Jesus' name, amen.